Can we do that together? And I'd like you to just, if it's not too uncomfortable for you, step out of your seat, maybe a row in front and a row behind, and say hello to somebody. And if you don't know who they are, tell them who you are. How's that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Isn't it, you know, we, we do that sometimes, and all the introverts in the room are like, oh, no. Right? And our goal isn't to make one uncomfortable, but sometimes we can be so rigid And I believe that things should be done decently and in order, you understand. But sometimes we can be so rigid that we forget we're all just people. We're all navigating life. But what we have in common is this pursuit of the living God who will give us grace and wisdom and direction to walk this road victoriously. God doesn't just want us to have a good life. That's not biblical. He will bless our life. But his definition of blessing and ours are probably different. He's wanting to bless our life for eternity. We have a tendency to focus on the temporal. He said in this life... You will have tribulation. <laughs> You're like, hold on, I don't want any of that. But he said, in this life, you'll have tribulation. But he said, hey, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's overcome the world. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. The book of Psalms this morning, the book of Psalms. We will probably not exhaust this today. Um, and this will probably be more teaching than preaching this morning. Um, but there are some truths in the Word of God that we should know and hold to. Amen? And so we're going to look at one today that has been stirring in my heart. Psalm 16, the 16th Psalm. David is writing here in the 16th Psalm. And we're going to read through it quickly, these 11 verses. But I want you to watch and notice his speaking as he puts it to paper for us. 
Preserve me, O God, for in you do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, You are my Lord, my goodness. What does that say? You ever read over that and leave the word not out? Some of you are getting concerned now, aren't you? My goodness extendeth not to thee. You ever read that before? You have read that before, haven't you? Many of you, and you're going, hold on a minute. I didn't realize that word not was in there. Good, I got your attention now. It's got everybody's attention. That's good. We're going to see what the word says. My soul has said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to you. Next verse. But it does extend the goodness of the Lord to the saints that are in the earth. So clearly verse 2 is not talking about us. Would you agree? This making I know I'm moving sort of slow, but I don't want us to miss what's in the word. But it extends, it's understood, but it extends to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Now who's writing this? You should know if you were listening three minutes ago. David's writing this. But is David talking? See, again, this is going to be teaching this morning. When we read Scripture, one of the things we have to ask the question is who's speaking? Okay, context is important. But it's also important who's speaking and to whom are they speaking? What are they speaking about? Okay, so, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all that. So, David is writing... But it would seem that David is not the one speaking. Stay with me. Some of you trying to, don't get lost trying to figure it out. Just we'll walk through it together. Is that all right? Next verse, verse four. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. This is why people that pursue the God of this world have sorrow upon sorrow. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord. Notice it's all capital L's there. This, he's speaking the Jehovah. I will bless the Lord God Almighty, the eternally existent one. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set. I want you to notice verse 8. This is important. I have set the Lord. What's that word there, Lord. I have set the Lord, Jehovah, the eternally existent one. 
I have set the Lord always before me because, where is he? You ever read that before? David is writing, but David's not the one talking. You're going to see this in a second. The one speaking says, I have set Jehovah, the eternally existent one, Yahweh, I have set him always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved because he, Jehovah, the eternally existent one, is in the place of authority. I shall not be moved. Next verse. Therefore, my heart is glad. Whose heart is glad? The one, who's, the one who just said, goodness does not extend to him. My heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh shall rest. What's his flesh going to rest in? Hope. His flesh isn't resting in current circumstances. His flesh is resting in hope. What lies ahead? Okay, verse 10. For you, thou, who's thou? The Lord, Jehovah, the eternally existent one. That's who he's talking to. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thine holy one. Oh, now we know who's talking. Neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand. Now, mm, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, we got to figure out who's talking here. Because the one who's talking has said, the Lord Jehovah is always before me. And because he's at my right hand, I'll not be moved. But he also said that at the one he's talking to, Jehovah, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is that what it said? Some of you, I should have had a. I should be drawn on a whiteboard right now, shouldn't I? Don't worry, it's all going to come together in just a minute. You just got to read a little further. I know some of you are looking and going, um, the heart, there is no further. That's the last verse. Oh, it's just the beginning. Go with me to the book of Acts. Chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. We're just do a little Bible study this morning. Verse number one. I know some of you know this, but stay with me. Acts 2 and verse 1, Peter and the apostles are all here. They've been praying. This is Pentecost is simply 50 days after the Passover. So we are now 50 days after Christ was crucified, the true Passover lamb. Now, 50 days after the crucifixion, he has risen from the dead. For about 40 days, he's been seen of the apostles and others and above 500 men, the Scripture tells us in Acts 1. 
And so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, the Bible says, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. This will mess with some of your theology. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to do something when the Holy Ghost filled them. They began to speak with other tongues or in another language. How did they do that? Did they learn that? Did somebody tell them what to say? No, 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 no. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit. Notice Spirit with a capital S. As the Spirit, the Spirit of God, gave them utterance or gave them words as they begin to worship God and pray the spirit of God came down looked like tongues of fire sitting on their head they opened their mouth in worship and the spirit of God entered into their life and as they worshiped God languages they had not learned came out of their mouth glorifying God it was the utterance of the spirit of God it's what we just read you guys are going what does that have to do with Psalm 16 well just hang in there I know I'm a slow mover. You guys are quick movers, but here we go. So this has just happened. This is the day of Pentecost. They got, this is why I said I was going to mess with your theology. They weren't standing up when they got the Holy Ghost. I know sometimes we think for people to get the Holy Ghost, they got to be standing. But anyway, it's a little side note. They were all sitting. Right? That's what the Bible said. And so the Holy Ghost fell on them. And they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this is happening, and you can study this. I believe this happened at the temple. And that's a whole other Bible study for another time. I know people say, well, they were in the upper room. The Bible does not say they were in the upper room when the Holy Ghost was poured out. It said they met and prayed in the upper room. But on the day of Pentecost, it says they were in one accord in one place. And these were Jews. And I'm telling you, Jews on the day of Pentecost would have been observing the Feast of Pentecost. They would have been where Jews went observing the feast. They would have been at the temple. And the Holy Ghost fell on this group that had been praying. And the, peop- the people around them saw this. There weren't people around them in an upper room. They were in the temple on the day of Pentecost. Where Jews went on the day of Pentecost. Study it out. It's a different Bible study for a different time. And they saw the Holy Ghost fall on them. and they began- Some of you are getting messed up with that because you've always said it was in the upper room. I know. Don't. We can talk later. I'll walk you through Scripture. The point is the Holy Ghost fell on them. People saw them receive the Holy Ghost because the Bible says, and we won't read all those verses, they heard them speak in other tongues. They heard them speak the wonderful works of God in their own language. And the Bible in the next verses that follow talks about the different places that people came from that heard them speaking in their own language. I've often wondered if they were speaking in that language or if it was simply just as sure as the Spirit of God was filling them with the Spirit and they were giving utterance to the Spirit, the Lord was touching the ears of the hearer and they were hearing in their own language the wonderful works of God. But it was happening and they were speaking in other languages. People were hearing the works of God. They were clearly declaring in other languages the wonderful works of God as they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so they're looking and they're watching and Peter stands up. He's like, I got to explain to people what's happening here because everybody's looking and going, something's not right, man. These people are acting crazy. Clearly, it was more than just speaking in other languages. Something was being demonstrated through their life. 
because Peter stood up and he felt the need to say, hey, everybody that's watching, these men aren't drunk like you think. Is that what it says in there? Verse 14. Yes. Is that where he said? Yeah. Verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven. So it's not just Peter. It's all of them together standing up. But Peter lifted up his voice and he said to the people, Men of Judea, all of you that dwell at Jerusalem, be it known to you and listen to my words. Watch what he says. These aren't drunk like you think. He did not say they were not drunk. Right? He just said they're not drunk like you think. I read somewhere about new wine. Right? Why do you think it is that the first miracle that Jesus did was turn water into wine? Another Bible study, another time. It was the introduction of a new covenant. His first miracle was the introduction of going from water to wine. The new wine. Again, it's a whole other Bible study. It's a wonderful Bible study. You should dig into it, going from water to wine. But that's why that was his first miracle. Okay? But here, he says, they're not drunk like you think. They've been drinking new wine. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Joel, in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will prophesy and dream, dream, all that. He says all of that. Peter's preaching all of this to them. Okay, now, skip down. And he's telling them all of this. Verse 22, or 21. People take this all out of context. You got to read it all. Peter's still preaching. See, people want to take one verse out of Peter's message and live on that. You got to take the whole message. People do what the media does. They'll do a whole interview and then they'll give you one snound bite and take everything out of context. You'll be like, that's not what I said. Okay. Peter's still preaching. He said, it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, you can't stop there. Peter didn't stop there. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you've taken him by wicked hands, you've crucified and you've slain him. He's talking to the people saying, you took this Jesus and you killed him. They're going, okay, we know this. We're aware of this. What does this have to do with these guys that seem drunk? What does this have to do with the prophecy of Joel? Watch verse 24. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Why? Because it was not possible that he should be whole. It wasn't possible that death could hold him. It wasn't possible that death could destroy him. It wasn't possible that he could be held bound. Now, but watch what Peter says now. Watch verse 25. For David spoke of him. Yes. David spoke concerning him. He said, I foresaw the Lord always where? He was always where? Before my face. He was always before me. For he is where? On my right hand. 
that I should not be moved. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what we just read in Psalm 16? David spoke not of his own self. David spoke concerning him. Who's him? Him is the Lord Jesus Christ. David spoke concern. This is what he's telling those that have just witnessed people be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hey, you killed the Messiah. David spoke concerning him. It was him that he was talking about when he said, I always saw the Lord. Except it wasn't David speaking. David was simply writing what he was speaking. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand. Now, this is an interesting thing in Scripture, that those that try to split God up into a multiplicity of personalities can't seem to answer. We know the Scripture talks of Jesus being on the right hand of God. But here in this Scripture, it's telling us, that God is on the right hand of Jesus. Some of you just got shook up by that. But that's what it says. Is that what it says? I foresaw the Lord always before my face. That's what we read in Psalm 16. The Lord Jehovah always before my face, for he is on my right hand. How is it that Jesus could have Jehovah, the eternally existent one, on his right hand? But Jesus, when he resurrected and ascended into heaven, could be sat down on the right hand of God. Well, it's not possible if you split God up into three persons. Because they can't keep being on each other's right hand. But the right hand is the place of authority. It speaks of the place of authority with his strong arm and his outstretched hand. That's how he delivers. That's a place of authority. And so we see that Jesus is saying he is speaking in Psalm 16. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also shall my flesh rest where? In hope. He's quoting the 16th Psalm. Peter is declaring to them what Jesus was. He's declaring them the prophetic word that was speaking of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, this is what was being said by David. And you're, you know good and well. I, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he's saying to those Jews. You know good and well the 16th Psalm is prophetic of the Messiah. And I'm telling you, what you witnessed in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. His heart did rejoice. These were not David's words. David penned them, but he was penning the words of Messiah. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. He continues, verse 27. Because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer Thy Holy One to see corruption. What does that mean? It means, hey, he died. But unlike you and I, when we die in ashes to ashes, dust to dust, this body will decay when we go to the grave. But his body did not go to corruption. It did not decay. He was in the tomb for three days and he rose again. That's what he means. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. That's how we know this, that's the Messiah talking. 
Does this make sense? See, we read over this and we need to understand who's speaking. Psalm 16, David's writing, but it is the Messiah speaking. Verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. Peter just quoted those last few verses of the 16th Psalm. And Peter was saying, it's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that was speaking. Not the man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to let that settle for a minute because I want to make sure I answer that question that it just brought to some of your minds. The man, you understand, when Mary had a child, it says that that which was in her was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Yes? The Holy Ghost is the Father. Ladies, raise your hand if you've had a baby. All right. My hand wasn't up. I was just exampling. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's be clear. All right. So, ladies, when you have... My, my wife has had three children. And if I say these children that are conceived in her are, are of Joel Hart, you understand... Joel Hart is the father of the children that's conceived in her. Does that make sense? Yes? This is not too complicated. But we want to complicate the Word of God. We want to complicate the Word of God. You can read it. It's in a couple of places in the Gospel. The angel of the Lord spoke to Mary and spoke to Joseph and said, That which is conceived in her is of the Father. But he said it this way. You know that what's conceived is the Father. The Father is what allows the woman to conceive or has their part in the process. You know what I mean? But when the angel of the Lord spoke to Mary and Joseph, said that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Well, if you split God up into multiple persons, well, if the Holy Ghost is the one that's causing Mary to conceive, what part did the Father have in it? Now I'm really confused because the Holy Ghost is causing her to conceive, but the Father's over here. It seems like the Father should be the one bringing conception to the Son. Obviously, I'm being a little facetious to make a point. We understand these three are one. This is why Jesus could say and declare when Philip said to him, Jesus, show us the Father and it will suffice us or it will satisfy us if you'll just show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you have not known me? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Oh, he didn't say two. We're one. And so... Why do I say that? Because here's why. Because Peter on the day of Pentecost is declaring, they have just witnessed, the Jews, the chosen people of God, have just witnessed the outpouring of the Spirit of God. The very Holy Ghost that caused Mary to conceive has now come and lived in their life. That's why it's called being born again. So the Holy Ghost has come upon them. They've spoke with other young people here. They're saying, what does this mean? That's what they said. What meaneth this? 
And Peter declares to them, he goes back to verses they know in Psalm 16 and says, hey, let me reveal to you what David was writing about and who it was that was really talking when David penned those words. David wasn't talking about himself. And we know this because a little bit further down in Acts chapter 2, verse number 29, he said, men and brethren, Peter's still preaching his message. He said, men and brethren, let me freely speak to you about David. The patriarch, David, let me tell you about him. He is dead and he's buried. So just in case you're thinking David was writing about himself, let me remind you, David suffered death and corruption. He's dead, he's buried, and his sepulcher is still here with us today. Verse number 30. Therefore, being a prophet, who's a prophet? David being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, God gave David an oath, what was it? That of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Whose throne? David's. The throne, is this making sense? told you we're just walking and teaching slow but we need to we read through this and we miss what is being revealed what Peter is trying to tell them hey David's not the one he wrote it but he was speaking on somebody else he was prophetic David being a prophet knew God had given him a word David of your seed and your sea seed I'll establish your throne forever he wasn't talking in the natural He wasn't saying, David, from now on out, you'll have a lineage where Israel will always have an earthly king and the earthly king will always sit on the throne of Israel and it will always come. He wasn't talking that way. He was talking spiritual. Because he said he would establish the throne of David henceforth and forever. Well, the only way he could do that is have an eternally existent one sit on the throne. And this is why. Oh, man, I'm getting so far ahead of myself, but I can't help myself. Watch Revelation 22 and 15. Watch Revelation 22 and 15. I hope that's the right verse now that I said it. Oh, better better go back to 14. Blessed are they. Want to be blessed? It's the last book of the Bible. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Why? Why? that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. He's talking about the new Jerusalem here. They may enter in through the gates to the city. Watch the next verse, 15. For without, outside of this place of promise, the new Jerusalem, outside of it are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and whoever makes a lie. Those are people that don't make it into the city. But watch the next verse. I who? I who? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Who's talking? Jesus. I, Jesus, am what? I am the root and I'm the offspring of David. I am the root. I'm the one David came from. But I'm also the offspring of David. I'm the one that came out of his loins. This is what Peter was trying to reveal to them. Hey, 
You killed the Messiah. You thought David was talking about himself. David, you knew it was prophetic of the Messiah, and you missed it. And when he came, you killed him. But the Lord God, Jehovah's on his right hand. And because Jehovah's on his right hand, he will not suffer his soul to stay in hell or his body to see corruption. And the same God hath made him both Lord and Christ. And he's exalted him far above all principality and power. This is the word of the Lord. And so this was being revealed on the day of Pentecost. And so when they heard this, oh man, we just don't have time today. We don't have time today. So why, what verse were we on in Acts? Somebody help me. Uh, 30, 32, 32. Oh, no, 31, I think, maybe. Yeah, 31. So he, Acts 2, 31. He, there's David, who wrote the words. He's seen that Peter's preaching. David's seen this before, prophetically. He spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul, Christ's soul, was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. Isn't it wonderful when the word of God makes sense? Verse 32. This Jesus... Hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. By the authority of God, he's exalted. And having received, watch this, watch this. Remember, remember what prompted this whole message that Peter's preaching? It was the people who saw and heard what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's like, hold on, they're not drunk like you think. He's answering that question still in his message. And he's telling them, this Jesus that David was writing about, he's been exalted and he's received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. And what did he do with it? He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. What were they seeing and hearing? They were seeing people receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. And Peter's saying, hey, David was telling you about this. And this is what's happening. The one you crucified didn't stay in the grave. He came up. He's alive forevermore. He was exalted by the power of God. And he received the Holy Ghost from the Father. And he shed the Holy Ghost on you. Now, it's an interesting, another Bible study here. But you can see, in, if you go back to John, and John speaking, Jesus speaking in John 14, you find him saying, he says, the Father will send the Holy Ghost. Yes? But you read just a few chapters later, and Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, I will send the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So is the Holy Ghost coming from two different people? So say it. That's what Peter's trying to declare to them, trying to help them understand Exalted by the right hand of God. He received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he, Jesus, has shed forth the Holy Ghost. One and the same. Now, watch what happens. I'm finishing. Verse 34. For David, he's trying to help them understand what they missed. They knew the prophetic word, but they had missed the Messiah when he came. 
David is not ascended into the heavens. But he said himself, and here he begins to quote Psalm 110, if I remember correctly. For David is not ascended into heavens, but David said himself, The Lord, Jehovah, the eternally existent one, said unto my Lord, Adonai. Again, there's a lot of Bible study here. We'll have to talk more. I'm just, we're just going fast. We were going slow, but now we're going fast. The Lord, Jehovah, the eternally existent one, said unto my Lord, Adonai, sit thou on my right hand. He is not splitting God into two persons here. He is saying, hey, Adonai, the one that was all God and all man, God manifested in the flesh, the man Christ Jesus. When he ascended, Jehovah, Almighty God, said, I'm giving you all authority. This is why Jesus could declare, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. And watch. Notice what he said. I love this verse. This is, so, this is a great study too sometimes. Sit thou on my right hand. Now, again, I want you to see all that's wrapped up in these verses. that we. But this meant something to the Jews that were hearing it. And we miss it sometimes because we don't take the time to understand what they understood about these Old Testament scriptures. But they reveal Christ to us in fullness. We know from the scripture, again, another Bible study for another time, so you have to trust me and ask questions later, and we'll walk through it. But we know that Jesus Christ was a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We find that from the book of Hebrews. We find that Melchizedek was a high priest of promise, not of the law. Promise always precedes the law. Therefore, promise supersedes the law. Jesus Christ was the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But there's an interesting thing you find about the temple when you look at the high priests that serve in the temple. Or you look at any priest serving in the temple. The priest was never to sit in the temple. Why? Because it was an understanding that when in the temple, the priest was always working. There was always a work to be done. It was never a finished work. And so they were always working. So they always walked through the temple. Now one time you find a priest sitting in the temple, he died. I, I, I can tell some of you are going like, really? When? I'll show you. Anybody ever heard of the priest Eli? He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they went to battle, and the prophetic word of the Lord came through Samuel that said, both your sons and you are going to die in the same day. Remember that prophetic word through Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 1-2. What happens? Eli, the Bible says he was a large man. And what happened is Eli brought a seat into the temple. And the Bible says Eli sat in the temple or at the entrance to the temple. And when news came to him, rather than him doing the work of the ministry, he was sitting. And when news came to him, the scripture says he fell backward off the seat and his neck did break. Now, again, that's a nice fun, but I want you to see the context of this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand. Sit indicates a place of rest. Yes. 
Do you remember what we just read in Psalm 16 and that Peter preached earlier in this chapter? In verse 26, moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. What was the hope? The hope was that I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But in three days, you destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. I'm going to rest in the hope. And so the Lord has now been made to sit. You understand the priest sitting signifies the work of the priest is done. In the Old Testament, the priest was never to sit because the sins were only pushed forward a year. The atonement was just another year of pushing the sins forward. It took another lamb. It took another sacrifice. It took another day of atonement. And it just kept pushing. And so the priest was never to sit because the priest was always about the daily service of the tabernacle. Read Hebrews all the way through those chapters and you get an understanding. And and it just couldn't be solved with the blood of bulls and goats. It was never able to cleanse completely. It only moved the sin forward but Peter is telling them hey I want you to know what's happening the spirit of the holy one has come and filled their lives and it came because of Jesus Christ who you crucified he was the Passover lamb and he was buried but he's not still there let me tell you what David was writing in Psalm 16 he's alive forevermore and he's finished the work he's sitting at the right hand The work is done. You killed him, but it did the work. Because the tomb's not empty. So you got this picture now. Is this coming together, these two? Now watch. So verse 35. Until I make your foes thy footstool. Again, he's quoting Psalm 110 and bringing understanding to Psalm 110, the first couple verses. Now Peter shifts. After saying all of that, Peter says, verse 36. Therefore, or as a result of what you now know, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified. He is both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Messiah. He is Lord and the Anointed One. He is Lord and Redeemer. He is Lord and Lamb. He is Lord and Salvation. He is Lord and Christ. Aren't you thankful for that today? He is both Lord and Christ. Now watch verse 37. When they heard this. What did they just hear? They just heard. We killed the Messiah. He visited us. As we so hoped he would. As we've lived our lives looking for him. He visited us. And when he visited us. We rejected him. I'm telling you. It still happens today. He visits the hearts of men. And we don't recognize the hour of our visitation. And we reject him. In one of the epistles, 
they were warned of crucifying him afresh. Crucifying him afresh. What was it? It was not recognizing when he was visiting and then rejecting him. was crucifying him afresh. When they heard this and they realized... The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. That's conviction. That's what I was talking about earlier. Condemnation says, oh, no, I'm a failure. There's no hope. Conviction says, I made a mistake. I failed. I've sinned. I missed the mark. What should I do? They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren. See, this wasn't just Peter. Remember, the 11 were standing up with them. This is all of them. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do to get back in right relationship with God? What do we do? The one we've crucified, we missed it, but we recognize the word as it's been revealed to us by the ministry of the Spirit of God through Peter. We recognize what do we do? How do we get back in right relationship? What do we correct this to be saved? What do we do? I think it's important to know what he said, don't you? Wouldn't it be terrible if we stopped right there? Then Peter said to them, Peter's talking, but the other 11 are standing there. Peter said to them, repent. Repentance is a recognizing of my wrong, a changing of how I think, a turning of direction. It is truly, the word repent literally means, metanoia in the Greek, literally means a change of one's thinking or a change of one's mind. I'm telling you, nothing else in your life will change if you don't allow God to change how you think. That's repentance. And so I need the Word and the Spirit of God to deal with my heart and reveal to me where I'm walking contrary to His Word. And when He does, I have to let Him change how I think about that. And then when He changes my thinking, that's repentance. So Peter said, first you need to repent. That's a dying to my old self. And then after you repent, you need to be and, right? That word and is a really important word. And it's a conjunction that joins two thoughts. One is not complete without the other. And be baptized. Who? Every one of you. I think that means us. And be baptized. Every one of you. How should you be baptized? In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The removal, the washing away, the remission of sins. I want you to tell you something about this and we'll move right on. This verse is often misquoted. It's probably the most quoted verse in Pentecost, but it's often the most misquoted verse in Pentecost. Because it's often quoted this way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. But the word your is not in there. It's the remission of sins, not the remission of your sins. Let me explain that in case you're getting nervous. But it's, I'm telling you, words matter. When you and I were or are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it does not just remit your sins. It also remits the sins of others that have committed against you. It's not just the remission of your sins. It's the remission of sins. 
It's sins you've committed, and it's wounds and hurts in your life from sins committed against you. The baptism in the name of Jesus heals the man or the woman. It is a complete work. He sat down at the right hand of God. It's the remission of sins. You say, well, how come I was baptized, but I still have pain? Well, you still have pain because sometimes healing takes time. But he reached in and remitted that which caused the pain. Now you got to let the healing process work. You know, sometimes you go in for surgery and they do some stuff and they dealt with what was causing the problem. But your body still has to heal from the process. That which was causing it has been dealt with, but there's a process now. That's what it is to continue to walk in newness of life. There become, it's Christ being formed in you. It's a healing process. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name, we used to sing a song. Don't worry, I won't sing because I want you to stay until we finish here in a minute. We used to sing a song. All my sins are washed away. All of them. Every failure, every mistake, every wrong, every sin, every wrong choice that's affected somebody else's life. I don't have to live in fear anymore of my sin. I don't have to live in regret anymore. I don't have to live in shame anymore. I'm not saying I didn't do those things, but as far as he's concerned, once he washed me in his blood, it's remitted. That doesn't mean, oh, it's like covered up, so it, you know, it's gone. The remission of sins. So Peter's telling them what they ought to do. Stand with me, please. Peter's telling them what they ought to do. He said, you need to repent now that you recognize. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And if you repent, and if you're baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, Peter said, you shall receive the gift. Of the Holy Ghost. Why? Verse 39. For the promise. What promise? The promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise from the Father that was shed by Christ that we just read in those verses before. For the promises to you. It's not just to you. He's speaking to the Jews there that day. He said it's not just to you, but it's also to your children. And it's not just to your children. It's to all those that are afar off. He's speaking about generation after generation after generation. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, some twist this verse and take it out of context and say, well, see, the Holy Ghost was just for the Jews because he was just talking to the Jews. But they didn't keep reading the book of Acts because in Acts chapter number 8, we see Samaritans receiving the Holy Ghost. Samaritans are half Jews and half Gentiles. Gentiles. And then you read a little bit further, you get to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we have a man named Cornelius and his family. They're not Jews at all. They're Italians. They're actually Gentiles through and through. They're Italians. And we see in Acts chapter 10, the Italians received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, they got the Holy Ghost before they did all this. They had repented and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter happened to be there preaching to them. And Peter said to them, after they received the Holy Ghost, how do we know they received the Holy Ghost? Because Peter had some people traveling with him, right? They were tagging along. He was smart. He took people with him to witness it. Peter's there with some other Jews, and he's like, if I'm going to the Gentiles, I better have backup. And so he goes, right, because it was a bad thing for Jews. It wasn't acceptable. He takes these the Jews with him, and they're there, and he's preaching the same message. He's preaching Christ to them, the crucifixion of Christ in Cornelius' house at Caesarea. And as he's preaching the message, the Bible says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. 
And they said, the witnesses were there, as it did on us at the beginning. And how did they know? The Bible says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They're like, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the same. They got it the way we did, just like in the beginning. Read Acts chapter 19 when you get home. You'll see what I'm saying. I'm not making that up. And you think, well, praise God, they got the Holy Ghost. But if you look just a couple of verses later, it says, Peter commanded them. That's a strong word, isn't it? Peter commanded them. He said, where is water that these should not be baptized? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter's message never changed. And Peter was just preaching what Jesus told him to preach when people got the revelation of who Jesus was. He was, he is the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. Would you reach to Him right now where you are? Come on, let the Spirit of the living God begin to reach into your heart right now. I'm telling you, just as sure as that day He was the answer, He's still the answer today. He's still the answer today. Your life can be free from the bondages of sin. The very things that Jesus Christ lived and exampled, it was so you and I would know we can live it and example it. As sure as he did not stay in the grave but rose again, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we are buried with him through baptism, but we are made to rise again and walk in newness of life. That's the infilling of the Spirit of God. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. This is what happens when you repent, when you're buried in the waters of baptism and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Old things pass away in the water. All things become new. Come on, talk to him right now. I'm opening this altar to you today. Why don't you respond to the beckoning of the Lord? Why don't you respond to the hunger of your soul right now? Step out from where you are. Make your way. Find a place of prayer. Let the Spirit of God begin to work. He'll fill you with His Spirit right here this morning. He will fill you with His Spirit as you begin to worship Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, it's the answer to the cry of your heart.